0: Welcome back to Coey's Questions, where I question life, current events, and pretty much anything that doesn't make sense to me, while Jay tries not to laugh at my unique viewpoints. I'm so glad y'all are hanging out with us this week because we have two special guests with us, Chris and Jordan, the authors of Union, the book, a book about finding common ground in America. I'm so glad you guys are here today.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: I know that you guys have been doing a bunch of interviews and stuff, and this is the world's most boring question, but I promise they will get a lot better. (laughs) But can you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourselves?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh. So I'm Jordan, I'm the Republican in the subtitle. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Grew up nice Jewish boy uh, with a great family. And for college went off to the East Coast. Uh, I was studying public policy. And while I was there, I, I learned a lot about the Iraq war. I was interviewing these veterans who were coming back and decided that I wanted to join the military. So I spent five years as a Marine infantry officer uh, got out in 2014, and decided to head to law school. And while I was there, I uh, just found that I, I I kind of felt a little out of place. I was about uh, five, six years older than everyone else, and had just spent a tour of duty in Afghanistan, and was missing kind of the sense of purpose I had. And it was right around then that I met I met Chris, and Chris had just left the State Department. Uh, we went out for a beer one night, and we, uh, evening that was meant to be kind of 30 minutes just to get to know each other ended up being three hours and we became quick friends. Uh And that was sort of the start of this project together.
0: Okay, so I've noticed people always say they're a nice Jewish boy. Are, they, are there mean ones? Why do you always have to preface it with the fact that you're nice?
1: Well, the ones who preface it are probably the mean ones, so you got to watch out for those ones.
0: Noted. All right, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, this is probably going to come out wrong. So bear with me here. I promise I don't mean it the way that it's most likely going to come out. I mean, I love I love the Marine Corps. Marines paid my way through college, not because I was one, but because I served them beer. <laughs> but you don't see very many Ivy League educated Marines. What made you decide the Marine Corps when you decided the military?
1: Uh, great question. So actually, I think there's a lot more than, than you'd expect. Uh, in my platoon of 40 Marine officers during uh, basic training. Um, I think there were like seven who all came from top ten colleges. So the, the caliber of the officer corps is just amazing. Uh, it's the most exceptional group, and that, I mean that's regardless of college. They're all just incredible. Um, and I think for me, you know, anyone who's met a marine like immediately knows it because <laughs> yeah. they they just stand out. Like they they you know they still have the short haircuts. They have uh, this like weird confidence uh, and pride. And the Marine Corps has this incredible uh, set of legends and history and culture uh, and uh, a shared language that all Marines use that just creates this incredible brotherhood uh, type organization. And um, you know that, that was the experience I wanted. I think of all the services, they're all amazing, but the Marine Corps has the strongest culture and that's what I wanted.
2: Oh, definitely the strongest soldier. And you speak of legends. I heard a rumor that you may be close friends with Secretary Mattis. What's (laughs) behind that? Uh,
1: I I wouldn't say close friends, but I mean this was one of the craziest experiences of my life. Uh, He's been my hero for you know over uh, a decade, and one of my buddies sent me a text uh, taking a picture from the back of his most recent book, which is like his memoir, and. In the notes, he he quotes this like random article that I had written back in 2014 about uh, you know, marine tactics. And and so I'm in his book uh, and I had no idea that that was going to happen. And so when we wrote our book, I somehow like scrambled and hustled and found his email address and then sent him an email saying like, hey, sir, I'm in your book. Uh, I just wrote one. You know, there's a lot of lessons from the Marine Corps. I would love it if you would read it. And I just sent him the book. and. Uh, sure enough, three weeks later, he he came back, said he'd he'd read it. Um, he really enjoyed it, and he he wrote this blurb for us, which was you know it perfectly captured everything I hoped someone would get from the book. Like I couldn't have asked for someone to like have have gotten all the meaning that we hoped someone would get, and then to be able to translate it into like two sentences. So it was it was maybe the proudest day of my life.
0: That is super cool. And <laughs> Jay's over here. fangirling like literally fanning his face he is so excited right now
2: oh no i I agree so definitely a huge fan of the one we know in some circles as saint Mattis. all right i said it and it is what it is but yeah no to (laughs) hear that he enjoys your book like i i agree i enjoyed the book very much so in fact i'm gonna admit this on air yours is the first book i've read in probably two years and the first one I've really enjoyed in probably close to a decade maybe I just don't do books well
1: (laughs) thanks thanks brother thank you that that means the world to us
0: and by read he means listened on audible (laughs) but still
2: still counts right still counts still counts. no but but like the whole premise for it and and I just happened to come across a Actually, no. At the time, I think of Secretary Mattis' speech, where he, he talks about a lot of things that are just kind of—I think a lot of things that kind of reminded me of your book, especially since I just read it. But no, it was it, like I definitely feel like you guys brought a spirit that Secretary Mattis, General Mattis, Saint Mattis, whichever level you remember him from most. But, but definitely that if you are a human and you take the time to see things with your own eyes, it's definitely you'll find common ground, and not everything's the way it makes it.
1: Well, just, just to finish that thought, I mean, I, I agree. So Secretary Mattis, I think he, he's uh, such an incredible public servant. You know, he, he has dedicated his life to this country. And over the last few years, he's, he's been very articulate about threat we face from internal division, that if we don't get this uh, handled, that if we can't come together, then that actually is our biggest national s- security threat, because it kind of uh, prevents us from doing all the important things around the world that, that would keep us safe and could promote Uh, American values around the world and uh, and so I I, it it meant the world to me that he read the book but even more I you know I think I think the messages do align with the things he cares about as well
2: again all the work he's done has been great but I love that you guys kind of captured that in I don't know kind of like a first-hand account like you, you know you hear history stories all the time and people doing it firsthand and now it's kind of like the news and the media and it's echelons above anyone who's actually there But you guys definitely had that kind of like on the ground, I saw this, and it changed my mind about how I thought I thought about this. And that that for me was really interesting.
0: All right. Now that we've gotten to know Jordan a little bit, I know this is a super boring question. And again, I'm sorry, but Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Uh, Sure. Um, My name's Chris. I'm from Berkeley. Uh, I was born, raised, and educated here. Uh, I am a writer by training. Um, after graduating from UC Berkeley, I, I worked my way over to DC, where I became a speechwriter at first, uh, working at the State Department um, with a team of like really awesome public servants. Um, then went to law school, where I where I met uh, JB Jordan Blasik. Um, and since then I've just been traveling the country, writing with him, and and uh, continuing this this uh, common ground journey that we've been on for I guess four years now.
0: That is super cool. I'm a little bit jealous of y'all just driving all over the United States. I just think that's so cool. Well,
3: so are we now at this point with the pandemic and everything. I mean, we're just itching to get back out there.
0: Right? You're like, please let me get out of my house. Exactly. So y'all both went to Yale Law without seemingly wanting to be an attorney. Did you go to law school just because you could? Or what was the driving reason for each of you to go to law school?
3: I feel like Jordan's got a better answer than I do.
1: (laughs) I don't know if better, but I'll I'll start. So, you know, the amazing thing about joining the military uh, is that you get the GI Bill and it pays for four years of grad school and also gives you a housing stipend on top of that. And so I I left the military not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I, I did know I wanted to be able to go back into public service at some point, but also to kind of create my own businesses, to be entrepreneurial and, uh, and worked in the private sector. And so I, I decided to go to uh, law school and business school thinking that the law school side would keep the door open to going into government. And uh, even though I didn't want to be a lawyer, that it would just be this like great credential to have. Um, and you know, it turns out that law school is not that interesting <laughs> if you don't want to be a lawyer. Uh, and so I actually spent most of my time hanging out with Chris uh, at, at bars talking about life and politics. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure law school's not that interesting, even if you do want to be a lawyer.
1: <laughs> That's definitely true. But I, I'm actually being a little facetious. Uh, the, the law can be really interesting. You know, constitutional law is fascinating. I think even just the, the history of how law developed is really cool. Uh, but I had a hard time getting into like the very deep black letter law and I massive textbooks. Uh, I, I was happier to just kind of be a dilettante uh, and, and uh, sit in class and have debates
0: yeah I was actually almost in the same law class as Chris.
3: what really?
0: yeah, I was actually almost in that class at Yale, but I decided to move to Hawaii instead of going to law school.
3: smart, very smart well played great decision yeah I mean I, I, yeah, very good decision um you know I, I will say though like i I actually loved law school, although I called it an intellectual vacation <laughs> um it was like a three year opportunity to write, meet interesting people. Uh, check into class every once in a while, see what's going on. Um, and th- therefore, I loved it. <laughs> but but I think if you take it a little more seriously, it can be a little stressful. But yeah, I, I kind of went because, you know, I was raised by JDs, I was raised by lawyers, I had an appreciation for it. Uh, pretty much everyone in DC has a JD. So you kind of are like, you, you get a little sweaty if you don't, and you, you get worried about your own career. And, um, you know, the administration was ending, I wasn't sure what came next. Uh, I knew for a fact, there's a lot I did not understand. Uh, about this world and about the things I wanted to write about so I thought you know what why not so so to answer your question I think yes I think (laughs) I went because I could even though I didn't really want to be an attorney ultimately and you know Jordan was was one of the best parts of of the whole three years that's for sure.
2: So you're saying Yale Law may be a great place to meet people and have fun. (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) I I heard three-year paid vacation is what I heard or paying. Yeah not not paid however. (laughs) Yeah, it's not inaccurate. I I will say the best
1: part of Yale Law School was the people. Uh, Some of my best friends, and Chris Chris is my best friend. And so, you know, certainly met him. But uh, so many people we met there are just incredible, great people trying to do good stuff in the world. And uh, that was definitely the best part of being there.
3: And it's, it's amazing how... And I, I really believe this. Jordan might disagree, but it it still feels like law school um is one of those places where people from across different backgrounds and ideologies and and political affiliations can actually come and sort of go. Okay, this is a this is a craft. This is a profession I'm interested in. Um, this is this this affects all facets of American life. You know, let's let's study this together. And and then you have a chance to meet people. Like I, you know, I often think about you know how I would have come across Jordan in another circumstance. And it's it's hard to imagine a place where we would kind of be thrown into this together. Um, and so that was, that was really a gift, I think.
0: Oh, that's sweet. All right. And I have to ask this one. It's one of the last like introduction <laughs> questions I have. And I think Chris already knows what I'm going to ask, but have either of you figured out what coolant does yet?
1: <laughs> Cools the engine, I assume, right, Chris?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea I'll admit it I have no idea
0: All right Well I'm gonna help you out So if anybody else asks you this You can be like Actually yes I do know I learned this from Courtney On Coey's questions Okay So it transfers the heat Around the engine To keep it from Either overheating Or freezing So that's why If you're up north They call it antifreeze But in the south They call it coolant
1: Wow And it's, and it's the same thing it's the same thing
0: Uh Pretty much. It just depends on if it's trying to keep it from freezing or from overheating.
1: Wow.
2: interesting. We have
3: five and a half degrees between us, and we did not know that, Jordan. That's interesting.
2: (laughs) All right. So I'm going to interject. It's it's not quite that simple. It has a really high boiling point and a really (laughs) low freezing point. You're supposed to use the same amount all the time, but no one ever does.
0: It still does the same thing, Jay. Thank you.
2: I
3: feel like there's there's a metaphor for our country and our politics in there somehow really high boiling point. really love
2: freezing. Point. <laughs> All right. So now I'm really, really curious. So what is the big stuff? Or do you guys have anything in common besides the Yellen road trips? That's a great question.
3: Yes. The answer is yes. I mean, I, yes. I yeah, <laughs> awesome. I mean, we were, you know, for one, we were both raised in California by really strong, awesome mothers. I mean, that's one thing that we bonded over right away is our, our mutual love of the West coast. And, uh, the fact that, you know, um uh our moms mean a whole heck of a lot to us. In fact, they're the dedication uh in in the front of our book. Um and yeah, from there, I mean like we, we both have this this passion for literature, for writing, obviously, which which helps a lot when you're when you ultimately are writing a book. Um, you know, adventure. Uh I've always wanted to be a war reporter and Jordan's actually, you know, been out there and 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 seen it. So, you know, we we bonded over that early and you know, I, I almost like to say that we kind of isolated a variable with our politics. In many ways, we're like very, very similar, except uh, how we how we think about politics. Um, and in two thousand sixteen, that was enough to to almost feel like we were diametrically opposed in all ways, um, which really said something about the moment. Uh, but no, in many in many ways, we're we're very similar. What Jordan, am I missing any uh, any characteristics we share?
1: No, I think you I think you got it. <laughs> we both we both have great hair. <laughs> the joke there is I don't have that much
0: hair.
3: <laughs> and I haven't gotten a haircut in, in, in weeks. Thank you, pandemic.
0: Jay's jealous with all the hair talk. He's been bald since we were 16, so
3: <laughs> Oh. Called out.
2: Seventeen. <laughs> but he's counting. <laughs> I'm there with you, Jay. So I have another question. So we talk about all the road trips and uh we were talking about Cohen, So I'm curious because I, I know at one point the boat met an untimely end so with all the with all the road trips planned and i'm hoping more in the future in, in hindsight why did the boat never get a tune-up before you hit the road? because i just because i mean there's like a, a blown out tire there's an engine smoking i mean it's just like i, I want to hear more about the pre-planning process to your road trips um well
1: you know i i I think for the most part, Chris and I operated a little by the seat of our pants with these trips. Um, But, you know, ironically, that last trip, uh, we did get the boat serviced. Uh, It it went into the shop for like a good 10 days. We put like two grand into it to get it serviced for that last trip. And sure enough, like three days into it, it still still just died.
3: Jay, don't forget, we, we, we also... Oh, I guess there's already there's also a J on this call. So uh, JB Jordan, <laughs> we we also went uh, we got it serviced for ten days, and then we we went in and got it checked out again the next day, right in Connecticut, to make sure yeah. everything was perfect. And sure enough, on that very
2: trip, it died. Maybe it was just the boat's time to go. I yeah, I think it was the boat's time. R.I.P. So, so now I'm I'm a little curious. While I'm thinking about the boat, is there a new boat?
1: <laughs> yeah, there like is the HMS Good.
2: Second Chance. Isn't there, Jordan? I don't know. There is.
1: I I just I just got a new car and Chris is actually getting a new car right now, Uh, though nothing will ever replace the boat in our hearts. True.
3: It's a special thing. So, yeah, I mean, we what we went to I guess we didn't go to all 44 states with that car, but we went to 30 plus states, you know, probably 15000 miles, a lot of fights, a lot of great conversations, a lot of memories. And and yeah, it's gone. Sad. It'll live in our memories, however.
0: So you mentioned the forty-four states, and obviously Alaska and Hawaii weren't one of them. So, what four states didn't you go to, and why did they get <laughs> left out? We, this
3: is this is really embarrassing. Last time we, we got asked this question, we couldn't figure it out, and then we like. <laughs> well,
0: I gave you the questions ahead of time. No, I, so. I, no, no,
3: I'm just saying. Like last time, last time we tried to do this on on the fly. Um, the well, the forty-fifth state, the the state we we uh we were trying to get and missed was Missouri. Um we were driving from uh Tulsa to o- Omaha and we were driving through Kansas and this was towards the end of our journeys and I decided to tally up exactly how many states we'd been to and we were we were at 42 and we were going to get to 44 naturally by our route headed back to California and I was like you know you know Jordan 45 sounds a whole lot better than 44 and we're only like, you know, 20 miles as the crow flies from Missouri. Why don't we try it? And Jordan's like, heck yeah, let's do it. And so we take this hard right turn and, you know, we're snaking through these these tiny little highways and we take another turn and then suddenly we're on a we're on just a slick of mud and just sliding down this hill and getting stuck pretty much within uh, uh sight range of Missouri right across the Missouri River. Uh, and, and we just got stuck. We couldn't get there and it took us like hours to get out of that mud. We didn't get to Omaha until, uh, like two in the morning, Jordan, is that right? Yeah, that's a terrible trip. Yeah. Um, so Missouri, Missouri is definitely one of them. Uh, North Dakota is another, we didn't make it all the way up to North Dakota. Um, Washington. And what am I missing, Jay? (laughs)
1: Uh, we always forget. Oh, West Virginia,
3: West Virginia. There it is. And, and it was, it was just, we, we only missed them because, uh, you know, like I, I wasn't even counting them until, until the end of our journeys, you know, so much of this was about, um, serendipity and kind of following our, our hearts and our whims and, you know, what felt like a good story and, and, you know, whether it was North, South, East or West, uh, we just kind of, we just traversed in that way. Um, and so no offense to any of the States we missed.
2: So, so with that, I'm curious, what gave you guys the idea to go on the first road trip You know, so you're going to cross the divide and search the country for common ground. Kind of how I feel like the book starts. Like, what gave you guys that idea? Well, it was really it was
3: Jordan's idea. I had to give him credit. Um, And it was nothing more than a lark. You know, he just we were we were at law school. It was our first year. Towards the end of the year, um, we were at on a on a bar patio, and uh, Jordan just sort of idly, like, kind of slapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, do you want to go on a road trip?" Um, and I didn't, my, my summer job didn't start for like two or three weeks. Uh, he was headed West, you know, I'm from Berkeley. I was, I was like, this is a, a ride home. And, and I'd never driven across country before. And, um, it kind of looms large in my childhood personally, because my mom used to travel across the country constantly in a, in a, uh, VW camper, uh, being the hippie that she was. And, um, and so I wanted to do it myself. And so it seemed only natural and it was really just a lark. And, um, yeah and 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 the trips were so beautiful so impressive um we were able to have such deep conversations that um there's something to it and we kept doing them and doing them um but yeah that's that, i mean that's my recollection jordan what am i missing
1: uh that that's about it i mean at, at first we we kind of wanted to do a documentary and then uh realized we just had no ability to do that and so one day i called up chris and was like hey man what if we just wrote a book and uh we agreed to do it
2: all right, so now I've got the million-dollar question. So are you guys single, married? And the reason I ask this is, how do you get your significant other to, let, to be okay with you guys just going on road trips, wherever the wind may take you, and not taking them? <laughs>
1: that, that might be my favorite question that anyone's asked us. Um, you know, Chris, is, uh, Chris is lucky. He has the most amazing girlfriend who uh, is just very understanding and supportive and so she uh she's been one of our biggest champions for the book she uh supported him every time he went on these trips uh meanwhile i've had three relationships fall apart over the course of uh these road trips uh many many of them falling apart in conjunction with the road trips uh so uh yeah that that's that's kind of how it went uh luckily though i just started dating someone It's, it's going pretty well she's lovely i can attest (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thanks buddy. So the road trips are either really good for your relationship or really bad for your relationship, but that is uh that, that is a golden <laughs> nugget for everyone who's going to do a road trip in the future. Yeah, de- definitely my my biggest
3: piece of advice, definitely tell your significant other more than a week ahead of time. I definitely got a lecture or two um along the way, but <laughs> yes, the, the my lady friend is is amazingly understanding and been so supportive and I think uh Jordan is now officially uh my favorite friend uh or her favorite friend of mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jay's just trying to get all the relationship advice wherever he can get it.
3: We might not be the right guys for that, by the way.
0: <laughs> I mean, trust me, I don't think you can make it any worse for him. But were either you afraid that you were going to lose your friendship at first on the road trips like did either of you walk on eggshells or anything at first?
1: Yeah, I th- I think early in our friendship and on the road trips, we definitely walked on eggshells and we even write in the book that new friends have a way of inoculating each other against argument. Uh, you, you, you uh, kind of couch your arguments more carefully. You don't use as um, extreme language. You, you try to, you know, seek out areas of commonality more often than not. And uh, it was only after we really got to know each other better and developed a bit of comfort that the fights actually got a little more brutal, which might, might be, Counter to what you'd expect, I think you would expect early on they would be more intense and then moderate. But it was it was actually when, when we started getting more comfortable with each other that we started opening up with our fuller views, leading to more intense fights. And then from there, we had to figure out how to how to reconcile our our you know our true uh, unvarnished uh, uh, opinions uh, with each other and figure out a way to develop a language to have great conversations that got at the truth uh, behind our views. Uh, yet also allowed us not to uh, get emotionally charged.
0: And how long did it take you to be able to have those difficult conversations without fighting?
3: <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, the honest truth is that Jordan and I still fight. Um, we fight a lot less. Uh, we f- I think we fight better, um, but we still get in arguments. And I think that's one of our messages in the book. Um, this is you know, common ground is messy. It's complicated. It takes time and effort and, uh, you know, a lot of want, <laughs> um, you know, these are often we're talking about really difficult topics that don't have easy answers and certainly don't have easy um, places to say, well, this is what we both agree on, or at least, you know, when you get down into the specifics. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd say, you know, partway through the road trips though, we had really started to develop a language. And some tools that we often use to try to get into these conversations in ways that don't lead to fights, um, even though they are still inevitable from time to time. You know, one that comes to mind is is you know trying to identify the sort of shared but potentially competing values in a conversation. So you know, Jordan and I often start there instead of starting with facts or or you know policy prescriptions or candidates. You know, so whether it's um, you know uh, uh, voting rights, say um, you know we can both agree that we care about uh um election security you know we don't want nefarious actors you know outside actors interfering in our election process but at the same time we want to expand the franchise we want to make sure that everyone who uh can vote does vote and is allowed to vote um and when we start there instead of talking about you know trump or or you know pelosi or you know people or parties um, then we're far more likely to be able to say okay since we agree on this topic We can sort of move forward um, knowing that we started from a place of agreement. Um, And that's really helpful. And then you're just sort of, you know, moving like a sliding, moving a a marker along a sliding scale of values. And and that's really helpful. So, yeah, to your question, we started to develop that maybe, you know, second, third road trip after some pretty big fights. Um, But, it's you know, there's no there's no silver bullet.
2: There's no panacea. So on that note, I'm curious, what was the biggest argument you guys ever had?
3: So many candidates, uh, Jordan. What what do you think?
1: Well, I, I think the the most intense argument was definitely the the fight we had uh, in Nevada uh, in the chapter chapter five on Mono Lake, where the fight started out kind of you know us just sharing opinions, and I said something about how you know I felt that um, very often Donald Trump's uh, words. Uh, Which can have maybe a generous interpretation or a very negative one, um, that the left always chooses the negative one and then uses that to kind of tarnish his supporters. So all the supporters must, you know, agree with what he said and therefore they must be bad. And uh, that kind of spiraled into this very intense fight that kind of ranged across a number of issues like police brutality, immigration, um, uh, systemic racism. And, uh, you know, in the end was actually. An emotional argument between us that um, that we were we were just yelling about rational uh, ideas or arguments, but in the end was was just this deeper kind of emotional uh, conflict. Um, I think that that was certainly the most intense fight we've ever had.
0: So, when y'all started out having these kind of conversations, were you originally trying to change each other's point of view, or were you more trying to understand the reason? Each other feels the way that they do. yeah
1: that, that's what sorry, go ahead, Chris no no, no, Jay, you got it yeah well that, that's one of our bigger lessons is that I think early on, you know very often we 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 got into these political arguments and without really realizing it we we were trying to change the other the other person's mind or to prove to the other person that that our side was right and and those arguments never really go anywhere because um you know the other side's always able to marshal facts and to bring great arguments to bear. There, there's a reason why so many of our political differences are in, intractable, because the two sides actually do have uh, you know, really strong reasons for believing and in, in, in thinking the things they do. And as we tried to convince the other side, we would often just retrench into our, our own beliefs even further. And it was only later when we were able to kind of develop our own language for uh, debate and uh, engagement that we got to the point where we started listening a lot more. Or it was, you know, we would have a fight, we would argue over something, and then it was in reflection on the fight that we realized what the other person was really saying and allowed ourselves to kind of open up to the other person's perspective more. Um, but that, that took time, I think, for us to get there.
0: And obviously, you all talked politics on this, on these trips, but did you ever have lighter conversations or was it full on, like, <laughs> angry all the time? <laughs>
3: No, you know we we tried our best to 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 not always talk about politics. In fact, it can be exhausting if you if you drive, say, from New York to California over seven days and all you do is fight about policy. Um, you know, we did all kinds of stuff. We we traded podcast recommendations. Uh, we listened to a lot of music, like 70s rock is like everywhere. Uh, a lot of top 40. Um, what else we talk about? I, I tried to get uh, Jordan into sports. You know, I'm a big sports guy, um, and so I tried to you know convince Jordan that there was uh, some of his love of business might, you know, he might find some of those same, you know, passion points and, 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 you know, how the MBA functions, that kind of thing. Uh, we, oh, I remember, I remember one time, we, we spent maybe like two hours, we killed two hours, uh, ranking presidents, doing like a rank order sort of like tiered process, uh, which makes us sound very nerdy. Um, maybe I should have thought about that before saying that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we, tr- we tried to talk about as much as we could. And and that's, you know, that's another one of not to bring it all back to, to sort of lessons about common ground, but, you know, not talking about politics, like building friendships that aren't just in exclusively based on who you're going to vote for, or you know which which politician you support, is essential to being able to have these conversations. You know, when we get into a fight, uh, often my first thought when I simmer down is, "Wow, you know, Jordan, um, you know, Jordan was the one who pulled me away from the tear gas canisters that were flying after you know the the Trump rally in 2017, or drove in the, drove through the middle of the night when I was too tired to drive, and you know." we had these conversations about, you know, love and family and the future. And he's the one who helped me make my decisions on my career. And, you know, if you have that basis, it's so much easier to talk about politics and avoid the fighting. Um, but yeah, so we talked about as much as we could. Jordan, what, what, what am I missing anything? Uh, I definitely actored you with sports.
1: <laughs> well, I think the, yeah, yeah, definitely did. Uh, I think the only thing that's missing is, you know, we, we also just talked about a lot of personal stuff. You know, Chris and I, uh, whether it was, relationships family um friends at law school we we you know we often talked about just normal things that that friends talk about i'd say that that was probably the majority of what we talked about
0: so you talked about all your breakups on these trips is that the, <laughs> is that the relationship part
1: yeah my my tortured love life had a lot of good uh, conversation fodder
0: i get it jay and i talk about his relationships and breakups a lot it's really funny for me <laughs> oh. oh, we've been best friends since seventh grade. It's just kind of <laughs> like that, but she can be mean uh, sometimes. On these trips, what was the most impactful thing for each of you? Wow.
3: Um, I'm trying to think. There's so many to to choose from. To be honest, um, I don't know. I and I'm sorry, Jordan, if I'm stepping on your toes here, but I mean Tulsa. When we went to Tulsa for the second time. Um, you know, we spent some, we spent quality time with this woman, Mimi, who runs a prison diversion program, um, for women and especially mothers, uh, who have been caught up in the criminal justice system. And instead of going to prison, um, if they, if they, uh, if the court allows it, they go to Mimi and they get wraparound services, whether that's, you know, mental health, um, services or, or job placement. And it's this amazing program. And, you know, she helps pull dozens of women out of this kind of downward spiral of um you know of facing the criminal justice system and we spent a lot of time with her and we and, and before we even got there we'd spent time in detroit with uh, a group of women who had just come out of prison and a uh, a group of men who were still in prison and were sort of uh, imminently going to to face release and i remember it being really kind of weighing on me and i think both of us both jordan and i um the sort of having borne witness to how Difficult that can be, and how hard, you know, facing the criminal justice system, addiction, all you know, all of these sort of interlocking issues can can really be for for really sort of genuine good human beings who have gotten caught up in something that wasn't necessarily their own fault, or they made a mistake when they were younger, and they've been paying for it for forty years or something along those lines. And I remember sitting down with Mimi and asking her, like, how do you deal with this sort of vicarious? pain like the the sort of knowledge um that kind of weighs on you and and she said that's exactly what you need to feel. you know we more Americans need to understand how difficult um facing these things is and feel it in their bones and not just be aware of it from like an intellectual perspective and you know it's it's out of that feeling of emotion that you actually get change and that you actually you know create that more perfect union. Um, and it was out of conversations like that that Jordan and I came more towards like hope and this this kind of definition of hope being an active form of optimism that if we design the future then then the future can be better. Um, but I also remember that being like this big moment of revelation for me and sort of realizing that you know what we had gone out and done, what we had gone out and seen um, was going. We were going to carry that forward, and it was a good thing that we were carrying it, even though it hurt sometimes. And um, it also didn't hurt that, you know, this moment happened in the middle of like a, a thunderstorm and it was, you know, it was very cinematic and, um, I'll never forget that conversation that night. Um, so that's what, that's what I would say, but Jordan, what about you?
1: Um, I think the experience for me that was most memorable was, um, you know, on our second road trip, I took Chris to a shooting range and everybody who worked at the range, uh, was a military veteran and, we shot some guns uh chris was a little nervous and he very sucked it up to 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 do what i wanted and at the end the veterans invited us back for a barbecue because they were going to do an enlistment ceremony for one of the guy's nephews and uh this is in chapter four uh you know i was very ambivalent about about going back and there's something really special about the military veteran community. And spending an evening together with other veterans, uh, reminiscing about stories, talking about bases overseas, Um, you know, there's something very uh, uh, insular about it. You know, it's like a world that many people would not understand. And I was a little worried that Chris, who knew me in one context, uh, wouldn't get the culture of uh, the veterans, and they wouldn't get him. And it kind of forced me to wrestle with this like dual identity I held between my military identity and kind of my civilian one. And I eventually brought Chris back and it turned out to be this incredible evening. And I think Chris really learned something deep about me and the the culture that, uh, means so much to me. Uh, and so it was, it was, um, kind of symbolic of like taking off some armor, letting Chris see a more vulnerable or different side of myself. And so I think that was very meaningful and it was just this incredible evening with these guys who were, who were great. And, uh, I think the last thing it, it speaks to this like incredible hospitality of people out on the road. And we saw it over and over again. Uh, but it, it definitely, uh, it definitely was striking that night to be with these guys, to be welcomed in almost as like family, uh, that evening.
2: Because I, I, I agree that doing something like that, especially a veteran around veterans, there's kind of that, I don't know, familiarity, kind of a a safety in a way of speaking where, you will let your guard down in ways that you normally don't, and I I definitely think that is a culture thing that veterans around veterans act a little different than veterans around anyone else, especially you know like in crowds. Like I know you mentioned crowds at a couple of these, you know, especially like bigger rallies. Like even Walmart, yeah, not my favorite place, right? And it's just well, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, but crowds is the one <laughs> I'm getting at. Just, yeah, just crowds yeah. in general, and, and I definitely am kind of curious to know if if that was a different side to see kind of the. I don't know what to call it, kind of a duality of, you know, the, the warrior versus human. Like, yeah, you were a vet. You, well, I say we're a vet, are a vet, but definitely that kind of contrasted with the, yeah, but I have my own views too. Like it's not just a cookie cutter stamp.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And and that that was the the duality, like what I was wrestling with is um, you know, the wrestling with kind of the two the two parts of my identity and who I was now versus who I was. Even just at that point a few years before as, as a as a marine, um, and it made it all the more harder that I was I was with Chris, um, who kind of knew me uh, in this other context, and I would have to uh, kind of in the spot figure out um, you know what those two sides of me meant and how to integrate them.:
0: It's okay, Chris. I'm with you on the have a sea name, never been in the military thing.
3: <laughs> I got back up good.
0: I mean, I did spend a lot of years living outside Camp Lejeune and serving beer to Marines, but oh wow, <laughs> that's the closest that I got. So you mentioned the shooting range, and I did have a question about that. In the book, it says that Chris struggled with shooting, was very nervous, and at one point even tried to squeeze the trigger a little too gently. How gently were you trying to squeeze that trigger? <laughs>
3: super super gently super gently i thought i could just like kind of flick it and like and it would shoot but nope definitely not and i was petrified i mean i was I've never. it is
0: scary the first time
3: yeah i'd never shot a gun before i was surrounded by a bunch of marines who i knew were going to judge me um (laughs) talking shit probably they were yeah exactly jordan's like super good at it obviously naturally um and so yeah no i was just barely even even touching the thing and i was wincing and squinting and um like all tense but but jordan can attest and, and maybe this is just my memory so this will be a good a good test but i thought once i actually learned to pull the trigger i actually did pretty well i think i hit the target quite a bit i was kind of you know i was i was doing pretty well for my first time i'd like to think
1: you did buddy you you did great buddy
3: thanks man
0: Aww. i love that you put stuff like that in the book though because I seriously stopped for a second and was imagining myself, like, my trigger's pretty sensitive. So I was sitting there like, wait, how much was he... Did he even touch it? I just love that you put (laughs) more personal stuff in there. Um, I did notice that you did a lot of stuff that made Chris uncomfortable in the book, but did you do anything that made Jordan uncomfortable or was it just a let's see how uncomfortable we can make crispy kind of thing?
3: Jay, I don't know how to answer that. You got, you got to answer that, buddy.
1: (laughs) I was waiting for you to answer it. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, ironically, Chris, Chris was, uh, uh, he was way more eager to go to the Trump rally uh, initially and once the tear gas shot off uh, after the rally, he was, like, itching to, to go in and see everything. And while I wasn't nervous, I was, I was much more hesitant, uh, just kind of knowing, knowing what it's like to be in uh, uh, areas that could turn violent. Uh, I, I was much more cautious. And so Chris was the one, like, rearing to, to run in, and I had to keep kind of uh, pulling him back with me. Uh, so I would say that was a big one. Um, I, I mean I think the other is just that Chris forced me to see parts of the country uh that were uncomfortable for me from the perspective of, you know, an optimist who loves uh America. It's it's hard to see things like the criminal justice system firsthand and uh the opioid epidemic and um you know these these deep structural problems in poverty uh that blight some of our cities. And um that was hard to see. And so Chris was the one who uh, kind of insisted that we see everything.
3: I got one. I got one for you. I was thinking about it. I re- Jay, Jay remember. Um, we so we drove from, uh, Tijuana to Juarez. Um, like bouncing back and forth across the border, and uh, and I was very scared of, at various parts during that journey. I don't think Jordan was as afraid, but I remember when it comes to being uncomfortable, we spent we we spent like maybe an hour chatting with two Mexican uh, customs agents who were who were great um but for the first and almost only time on our entire trips uh Jordan's military status didn't actually open a door in fact they kind of made fun of him for it you know they <laughs> they they were saying like oh you know they're all crazy that you know uh you're trying to bring guns across the border dah, dah, dah. and I'm pretty sure that made Jordan a little bit uncomfortable but this is this is also like a larger point though <laughs> because like that was the only time almost like i mean his military status like got us out of a ticket because a police officer was was so grateful for his service. Like almost everyone we met on the road, uh, you know, had some story about um, you know a cousin or a or a or a friend who was in the military, or they they themselves had a military service um, in their background. Uh, so so yeah, there was that one time where, where it, it, it didn't kind of like immediately open a door for us that may may have made Jordan a little uncomfortable. May underline on May. <laughs>
0: Did you learn to stop sweating no and being nervous when you get pulled over, too? Or is that a thing that still happens?
3: <laughs> probably still still a thing. I have not been pulled over since. So I'll tell you uh, the next time it happens. <laughs>
0: You'll be cussing me, too. You'll be like, dang it, Courtney, you asked me that. And now I got pulled over.
3: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> you talk about a lot of the places that you go in the book. And I just need to know... When you were in Winslow, Arizona, did you take a picture standing on the corner somewhere? Because if you did not, you seriously <laughs> missed out on an opportunity to be part of an Eagles song.
1: I
3: have done that. We did not do that. But I did that with my family, like when I was like twelve and I had no idea what we were doing. But I, I do like I do have that in my back pocket.
0: <laughs> I have one of those. I didn't know what I was doing too. One time my parents woke me up from a nap to see the continental divide. <laughs> I was super disappointed that it is just a sign but you do talk about um driving through texas too did you actually stop and eat at the big texan or did you just talk about it
3: i think we just talked about it
1: jordan yeah is is that the place with the 72 pound sick the 72 down sick yeah yeah we didn't actually we heard
0: yeah, I was gonna say you didn't even mention it by name, but it <laughs> we is heard some the one with the Amazing stories about places steak. like
3: that. Like a, Pete also told us about one where they had a like a tiger in a cage in the dining room.
0: Really? Um, I'm yeah, gonna in need
3: Texas. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna need a... to
0: know where that is. So if you could just <laughs> yeah, well, find it out for me.
3: I'll text I'll text Pete for you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I ate at the Big Texan when I was littler. So when you were describing it, I was like, oh my goodness, I've been there. <laughs>
3: We, we ate at, like, Wall Drug. We went to some sort of iconic uh, road trip places, but we we missed that one. We failed.
0: I need you to go back and do it again and eat at the Big Texan and take a picture in Winslow, Arizona, standing on the corner. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and just do all that fun stuff.
2: So, so maybe this will be, you know, road trip, you know, 800 and beyond because I, I imagine this is going to keep becoming a thing. Um, so how do these road trips change you? And with like, like, do they fundamentally change your views on America as a whole versus, you know, kind of what you saw versus how the media portrays it? And then the big one that we're very curious about, because I think we're both from flyover state.
0: What do you mean you um, think we went to the same high school
2: before the road trips? Was the the middle, you know, 40, 38 states kind of flyover to you guys or was it still a thing you guys wanted to see? Jordan, you want to go first or should I?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so I, I think the road trip uh, like changes us in three ways throughout the book. Um, you know, for, first it it uh, it allowed us to see things that, like when we saw the difference between what we saw on the ground and the way the media was portraying it, allowed us to get a sense that there was a deeper story here, that there that there was more complexity on the ground than was being captured by the narratives, and we certainly saw that. Um, at the Trump rally in Phoenix, or uh, at the Yuma Air Station where Air Force One landed, um, and so we saw we saw you know over and over again that things were always a little bit more complex on the ground, and there were deeper stories than were being captured by uh, the media narratives that tend to just make things a little bit simplified and dualistic. Um, so that was first, and then second, I think we we met people and learn things from their experiences and their stories and the cities they lived in um, that just painted a, a richer, deeper picture of the country. And it changed our views on a number of things. I think it made Chris uh, a little more hopeful for the country. And I think it made me a little more sober about some of the problems we face because when you see them firsthand, it, it's hard to ignore them. And the people themselves kind of kind of dramatize or speak to these, these deeper things. Um, and then third and finally, you know, I think there's anyone who's done a road trip feels this. Like you just you, you feel something special for the country when you're on the road. Like when you, when you pass over a mountain range, or you go through uh, kind of long valleys in Nevada, or drive through like beautiful uh, rolling hills in Texas, uh, you just develop an affection for the land itself, and that translates to the country. Like the the love of land is such a powerful thing in the American story, um, and when, when you actually get to explore it you just, you, you, you feel more deeply uh, being a part of the country. Um, And so I think that was also certainly part of it and getting to do that over and over and over again, I think was a big part of our, of our, of our journey. Um, Chris and I like to joke that, that our book is kind of one long love letter uh, from the two of us to the country. And uh, so much of that is because of the road itself, like the the landscape. So I think, I think it changed us in those ways. And Chris, what would you add to that?
3: That oh, was beautiful, man. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I would just co-sign that. I, I, to, to the point about flyover states, I mean, I, I actually think Jordan and I were like really curious about the places in between, you know, the the quote unquote flyover states. I mean, I know personally, um, you know, I grew up, My, you know, my mom worked for uh, a nonprofit that helped save land and set it aside as national parks, state parks, that kind of thing. And so we would, you know, we would drive around the country checking them out. And so I had this appreciation for not just Berkeley and Cal- California and the West Coast, but... Um, you know, but places off the beaten track. So I was always really curious about it, and and Jordan certainly felt the same way. I mean, he had served with Marines from all over the place, and and had been at various bases, and and just had seen the country in his own way. Um, and yeah, so I don't I don't think we we felt you know this kind of um, you know I, I I think we wanted to see as much as we possibly could because we 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 sort of knew that there was something. Um, more to to all of this country to to the places in between and the and and the coasts and, and everywhere and so I, I don't i don't think any part of us was like you know let's just get through this state except you
0: know? maybe kansas because i think everybody feels like that in kansas
1: <laughs> you you literally li- you literally just took the words out of my
0: mouth <laughs> i've been oh in my kansas, god yeah and i've been like if this state does not end <laughs> there's
1: a lot of cornfields oh man poor Kansas,
0: <laughs> I know. <right. laughs> so I know that your book just came out, but do you have any intentions yeah. of writing another book in the future?
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe someday. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to write a book. It takes a long time. It's it takes you know, it takes a lot of effort. Um, I think Jordan and I would love to keep collaborating on things. We'd love to especially have a chance to really push this message even further. I mean, I think it's something um, that we hope will be a tonic. You know, it'll, uh, we hope that talking about common ground will hopefully encourage more people to try it. Um, so I think we're, you know, we, we want to just make sure that happens and, and whether that's in the form of a book or, or, or just, you know, keep talking to good people like you, um, you know,
2: we just want to do that. So, so I'm curious, what surprised you most? about the country from the road. So you've seen a lot of places and a lot of things you probably didn't expect to. I'm wondering what stood out.
1: It's a good question. <laughs>
2: uh, I was kind of man. figuring something was just going to pop out like crazy. Like, oh, remember that one time we were here? Hmm, I, I, I don't know what stood
1: out. I, I will say one of the, the more interesting experiences we had uh, of a place that just you know seemed different uh, was tombstone arizona it's just this town that's like stuck in the uh the 19th century and i thought that was pretty fun
2: yeah no i I agree having passed through tombstone arizona a couple times uh i will definitely say bisbee is a lot more lively yeah i know you guys went through there as well uh but yeah tombstone is yeah one street i think from the original town that's kind of the museum as well and it's that's it Oh.
0: So I know that people say that it's not polite, especially when you're growing up and stuff to talk about politics and religion and things like that. But what are y'all's thoughts on those topics of conversation and if it should be talked about more or <laughs> if it shouldn't be talked about?
3: That's, that's a good question. I I think it is delicate. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it impolite. You know, I, I think some of my my favorite conversations with Jordan and you know, others has, has often been along those lines. I mean, if you those are places where we really learn a lot about this this country, this this world we live in, um, you know, how how we choose to go through it. Um But it can be, yeah, it can be really, it can be really difficult. And I think you know, Jordan and I have known each other now for years, and we still fight about these things. So um, I see how it can be delicate, and why you need to really sort of have a plan, especially if you're going to talk to strangers about it. Um, But I I think it's a problem if that kind of stuff is out of bounds. I think that's a that's a that's a failure of our language or our ability to um, you know understand one another if we if we can't have those conversations in a respectful manner. So. Uh yeah. I mean I it's definitely not something to lead, you know, uh with when you're meeting someone, but but I think it's it's really rich. It's it's a rich vein. I mean, I'm so glad we got to talk to Pete about it and Mimi and uh so many others along the road. Um if we hadn't, it wouldn't have been half as as rich.
1: Um well the only thing I would add to what Chris said is, you know, I, I think there's a way of talking about politics that is that is open, you know, it's 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 an effort to talk about the things that matter to us. Um, you know people feel passionately about about different political causes because politics at the end of the day is the way we like organize society um so it's important and and to chris's point that's that's why we should be able to talk about it but i think there's another way of talking politics that's somewhat derisive uh you know i've i've certainly been around like large groups that are all democrat where um you know the way they talk about politi- uh, republicans is very derisive and um you know it 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 makes me feel Uh, Uncomfortable, and I'm certainly not going to come out and say like, "Well, I'm a Republican," and a group of people. And so, uh, you know, I think the the admonition about you know don't don't talk about politics or religion is, in some sense, a guard to prevent you know uh, prevent people from feeling excluded or uh, uh, dismissed uh, in conversation where you don't you don't know their beliefs. And so, um, I think as as a general rule with people you don't know yet. Um, you don't know what they might believe. You don't know what experiences they have. Um, I think it's it's actually a good thing to, to maybe just be very cautious about how you talk about it and make sure that you're not saying things in a way that makes them feel excluded or makes them feel like you uh, you don't respect their values or opinions.
0: And I understand that where you say you don't really want to tell people you're a Republican because there are times where I'm like, I just need to keep my mouth shut and not tell people what I think or feel because then they're going to think that I think things or feel things that I don't. Exactly. And it's almost scary. Like I have to hide it. And sometimes it's almost easier. It feels like to just ignore it or not discuss it. So that's why I think it's really cool that y'all did this trip and wrote a book about it specifically with talking each other's point of views and learning from each other and the country. And I think it's really cool that you're showing people that you can have different political views and different ways of thinking, but you can still be friends and that you don't have to be friends with people that only think exactly like you because that's a little Stepford wifey and kind of scary. (laughs) And I have one final question for y'all, and it has nothing to do with your book. Um, I just have this theory that you can tell a lot about people by the way they eat an Oreo. So how do you eat your Oreos? Are you a dunker, a twister, or do you just like eat it like a sandwich? <laughs> uh,
1: I'm
3: definitely a dunker. I'm a, I'm a sandwich guy.
0: Really? You eat it like a sandwich?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Proud of it. You don't dunk it in. Proud of it.
0: That's kind of weird. Jay does that too.
1: Chris, I feel like I
3: hardly know. (laughs) So much to learn about each other.
2: I'll eat it any way I can. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with dunking. There's nothing wrong with eating it like a sandwich. People who twist it, though.
0: There's nothing wrong with twisting it. (laughs) Because
2: it's the right way to eat an oreo. So, what does that say
0: about us? Well, it's not really that the way you eat it says something about you, except for I. I honestly do tell people I think they're a psychopath if they just take a bite out of it. So, (laughs) sorry about that, Chris. But I'm just trying to see if it's a thing where people that are more artistic do it one way and people who are more scientific do it another. So, just science. I'm doing science here, y'all.
2: And if you want someone who asks a million questions for your next road trip, (laughs) she's adoptable. So Quit
0: trying to get rid of me. (laughs) Unfortunately, we are out of time, so that is just all the questions that we're going to be able to get to today. But thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us a little bit about your book and about some of the things that happened in the book from the inside perspective.
1: Thank you guys. This was a lot of fun.
2: I had a great time. It was nice to meet both of you.
0: It was great having you with us, and I hope that y'all sell a million books. And end up on the New York Times bestseller list or whatever (laughs) book people are really excited about. All right.
1: Well, it was really great chatting with you guys.
0: And thank you to everybody listening for hanging out with us today while we talk to Chris and Jordan about their new book. Make sure you check out our website, cohesquestions.com slash union for a super awesome giveaway. We've teamed up with them to give y'all a chance to win the book. It'll also be on our Instagram as well. And... Of course, Jay wants you to remember to subscribe, like us, give us that fifth star review, something about a tiger and a gold leash. I honestly don't even remember anymore what he's talking about. And we will be back next Tuesday to hang out, question everything, and learn a little something from another special guest, Jordan Lloyd, a visual historian. And make sure you tune in to find out exactly what that entails.